Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of the That Sounds Fun podcast. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs, and I'm so glad to be here with you again this week. Man, we have had just a couple of super fun and awesome episodes in a row. I hope you've gotten to hear them. Last week with Stephen Kirsch Chapman. Man, that's just, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget that day and that we got to record that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. And Danielle Walker, we've had the most people responding about their autoimmune diseases and their illnesses and their sicknesses that that they did not realize how much changing how they eat could help their lives. And it's just so exciting when God brings healing through natural ways like food as well as doctors, as well as supernatural healing. So anyway, I think it's awesome. I love that you guys are listening and responding to that. And the book writing podcast the week before that, if you're looking into being an author, in the background, as you know, if this is not your first rodeo with us, is our friend Ellie Holcomb and her new album, Red Sea Road, is so good. In fact, in if you didn't know, her husband is also in a band called Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors, and his new album, Souvenir, is incredible. I'm so excited to go hear him at the Ryman tonight. In fact, I got to go last week to the Ryman Auditorium, my favorite place in Nashville, my favorite room to hear music and hear Drew and Ellie last weekend. And it was so, so fun. So make sure you check out his album as well. Today's guest is really special to me, a dear friend who does not live in Nashville anymore, but used to, Andrea Lucado. I call her Dre. Her friends call her Dre. So you are welcome to call her Dre as well. Dre and I met here in Nashville a bunch of years ago and just hit it off. And you may recognize her last name. Her dad is Max Lucado, and she is a writer as well. She has inherited many of the family gifts and traits, including an incredibly beautiful ability to write. Dre spent a year in England studying abroad, and you know how I feel about Edinburgh, Scotland. So we have always connected on this UK level. And her recent book, English Lessons, is about that year she studied abroad and all that kind of she wrestled with and, and what she went through while she was there and the beautiful parts of her life there. And I think you're really going to love it. And so I got to read it and be one of the endorsers for the book. So I read it a couple of months before it came out, and I just fell in love with it. And I think you will too. If you don't already know Dre, I'm really excited to introduce you to her. If you do know her, I think you're going to love getting to hear this conversation. One of the reasons I love this podcast is 98% of the time, it's my friends who are on it. And that is true today. So you're really going to hear what it sounds like when me and Dre sit down over coffee. We just talk about all the things. She asks me questions. I ask her questions. And it, um, my soul feels filled up from getting time with her today. So I'm really, really grateful for her. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Andrea Lucado. Okay, so Dre, do you want the listening friends public to know that your name is Dre or do you want people to call you Andrea? Oh, no, people can call me Dre. Yeah. That's what I For figured. Sure. I just wanted to make sure before we went into an entire podcast where I called you by your friend name <laughs> that you didn't have like a professional fancier name. Uh, no, it's Dre. Okay. But, <laughs> well, I mean, professionally, I think people know me as Andrea. Right, right. <laughs> but I don't care if they start calling me Dre. That's totally fine. What they don't know <laughs> is that the world of friends calls you Dre. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. So you live in Austin now? San Antonio, Austin. Austin, really close to Okay, San so your family is in San Antonio. Yes, most of my family is there. So what made you pick to go to Austin? Well, I have college friends here, and I knew that uh, my friend Amy Jo was kind of wanting a roommate and was yeah. like looking at place, like two-bedroom places. So I was like, hey, if I move there, can I live with you? And it's right in the middle. Like my little sister and her husband are in Waco, and then the rest of my family is in San Antonio, and Austin is an hour and a half from each of those cities. So it's really close but not like right there. So it kind of felt like a good, a good medium. Let me tell you here. how I knew your youngest sister was in Waco. <laughs> oh, I bet Fixer I know her upper. She had her own yes, episode of Fixer Upper. Yes. <laughs> Do you remember last year when we both spoke at the Therefore Gathering, my mom was like, will you please take a picture oh, with Dre's sister? That's right, because it had already come out. <laughs> I'm telling you, I am no longer Mexicano's daughter. I am that girl sister who was on Fixer Upper. Like, really? That is so, I mean, I think everyone in Waco gets an episode. I think that's part of the deal, right, at yes, some point? I think, well, they're going to run out of houses at some point, so it's like everybody. 
everybody. And everybody works for Magnolia in some capacity because that's what they were doing. Like Sarah was working for Magnolia and now my brother-in-law works for them. So it's just like a big family and everyone's getting their houses redone. Yeah. You can stay in it. It's available on Airbnb. Oh, well, that is brilliant of them to do that, to make it available. Should we put the link in the show notes so people can go? Oh, they would love that. Okay, done, done. That would be so fun. So one of my old interns named Hale that we love and adore, um, she goes through and listens to the podcast and makes sure we pull all the right links. So, and to put on the blog post. And so that'll be really fun for her to have to find Sarah's house. (laughs) Good luck, Hale. I'm trying to think of what they, I think they have a a special name for it, but I don't remember what it is. Yeah, don't. We'll just let Hale sort it out. She'll figure it out. I was like, I mean, I can ask Jeff and he can send it. Oh, my, my brother-in-law's Instagram. I'm pretty sure it's like in his bio, but Yeah. Oh, good. These are all great clues for anyone who's listening (laughs) or for Hale. For anyone who's listening that wants a detective, like just a little bit of a mystery, you have enough (laughs) to go sort out where you can find the house. Do you remember when we were in elementary school, we used to have those grid things that you had to like, Sarah sat next to Dre, but in front of Annie. And you had to be like, okay, so Sarah was not next to Annie. And you put an X in that box. (gasps) I I used to love those. And that's what this feels like. This feels like one of those mysteries. (laughs) Um, Okay. So how long did you live here in Nashville? Eight years, seven years? Seven and a half. Okay. So yeah, almost, almost eight. Yeah. Cause I feel like we moved here about the same time, right? I moved here in August of 08. Yes. And I moved in September of 09. So like, right. Cause you, I remember when I met you, you were kind of new to Nashville. That's right. Which is so funny because then we became so established. Well, then we stayed there. Yeah. We just stayed and became old Nashville and the the young gals (laughs) became the new Nashville. That's right. Oh, that's so true. Tell me a little bit. I want to talk about Nashville, but I think I did this as well. Obviously when I moved to Nashville when I was 28, Tell me a little bit about moving to another. So you moved from Texas to Nashville and then back to Austin. And I think it's really interesting when men and women in their 30s move to a new city and you're unmarried. Like, I think there's an interesting dynamic of like, wait, because I'll say, wait, I thought when I moved to Nashville, I'd meet my husband. Oh, wait, I thought (laughs) I didn't think I'd move into. I mean, every time I move house. I think, I didn't think mm-hmm. I'd do this again. So yes. what was that like for oh, you moving so to Austin? Did you experience that or no? I don't want to put feelings on you that weren't your feelings. No, I, no, I experienced that exactly. And I've actually, my roommate has been making fun of me because I've been like, I don't, I don't feel like making friends. Like it's been a totally different, I'm like, I made friends in Nashville already. Like I know how to do that. And now I'm 30 and I'm like, wait, do I need more girlfriends? Like at this point in my life is that I had like seven good girlfriends in Nashville. And so moving here, I was like, I, and so I was really resistant to like doing things and making friends. And I finally realized while verbally processing with Amy Cho one night, she's going to love that she's on this podcast. Yeah, she, so Amy Cho. Nice I didn't you. even ask her permission, <laughs> um, but she's great to process with. And I was like, you know, I think I'm resistant to this because I kind of would rather just like be married than make a whole bunch of new friends. Yeah, like I think I'm just yeah. in a different season socially. So it's been really strange to move here. So instead you're only making guy friends. You're only talking to yeah, dudes. I'm only talking to men. <laughs> you're a girl. I do not care about you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Unless you have coffee. a brother. If you've got a brother. <laughs> Call me. (laughs) Always ulterior motives, always. That's right. So what was it like really for your heart to kind of make that, like I would imagine, because I I walked through this a little bit when I moved to Edinburgh and when I moved back to the U.S. of like, oh, this isn't what I thought it would be. My life, I mean, that sentence, I feel like my life isn't what I thought it would be was true for me multiple times. Yeah, it's, I was talking to my parents about this at their house a few, maybe a couple of months ago and just kind of started like crying ugly tears. (laughs) Like I didn't even know that the tears were there. And I was like, it kind of, it's like, I don't know what to do. Like, I feel like I'm in this place of limbo where I thought this thing would happen and it hasn't. And now I have to figure out how to live without it. And it's a really like strange kind of floaty place. And I feel like I'm kind of coming back down and finding my center now, but, but it, yeah, I I think that question was like, okay, how do I proceed? And it's like, you just kind of have to take it day by day. Like, okay, well I move in with a roommate and I, 
you know, look for a church and I do things without, you know, this constant reminder of I'm doing this alone and I'm alone, (laughs) which is hard to put aside. And I think, I mean, I think you're making a really interesting point as well of like, you aren't forcing yourself to make friends because you just, that doesn't feel true to what you want right now is like another crew, like y'all's sweet group of friends that are here. Yeah, I know. And probably a lot of that too is like, well, I found that such a great group. It's kind of hard to like imagine finding another group or, or what that looks like. But I also kind of felt like this year was going to be a year of rest for me. And a part of that is just not like, I'm kind of an introvert, but I like hanging out with people, but it's also, it's good for me to not put pressure on myself to do things with people and to allow myself to stay in and and rest. So I've just been giving myself permission to do that. And I've been in San Antonio a lot. Like I think I was there the last two weekends. I'll be there this weekend for like just different family stuff and some book stuff. So that's been really good to just allow myself that, but that's also not sustainable forever. <laughs> so at some point I'm going to need to to break out and, and do that and make friends. What made you think, and I think I'm not saying you're not right. I just think it's really interesting for me and for our friends who are listening. Like when you felt like the Lord pushed you on like, Hey, this is a year of rest. What, how did you know that was the Lord pushing that towards your heart? And what did that mean as far as what you do with it? Yeah. So let's see, when did I kind of feel that? And if any of this feels too personal, just tell me to shut up and we'll move on. No, this is, this is great. I like talking about this stuff. Um, a couple of years ago, a mentor of mine, I kind of started feeling nudged toward a year of rest a couple years ago and just didn't do it. Like, uh, a mentor I had in Nashville who we actually talked on the phone this week. Um, she was telling me about this idea in the old Testament of letting the land lie fallow and how it was, I think I don't remember where it is. Exodus, Leviticus, one of those. Um, but it, I'm like making myself sound very smart right now. Um, Listen, no one can expect you to remember remember what's in Exodus versus Leviticus except Moses. And I'm not even sure he's not in both. So I, we can't hold you to any of that. That's old covenant stuff, Dre. That's old covenant. Right. We live in the new covenant. Uh, but I do love old covenant stuff too. Um So you, the idea was like you plow and harvest your field for seven years or six years. And then the seventh year you let it rest and that helps replenish the soil. But then it also gives people who are maybe poor or don't have their own field a chance to come like reap wheat from your field that's lying out. So the application is kind of like the Sabbath, you know, the idea of Sabbath. And then also, I just remember her telling me that. And I was like, I need that. And specifically at the time it was in the area of dating. Like I really needed to just take a break and like maybe not date for a little while, but I was kind of resistant to that. And so this, this year, I mean, I didn't really have to choose to not date necessarily, but it's uh, just but been... always say you did. Listen, I took a right. year off. I don't know that I told anybody else, but technically I took a yeah. year off. <laughs> like when people fast from dating for Lent, I'm like, but are you really, or is it just like an excuse to, if you don't get asked out, that's okay. That's <laughs> like, right. That's right. You're like, this is my <laughs> so I feel like that was a really like long rambly explanation, but that was sort of the seed was planted. And then I was in some time of prayer when I was thinking about moving to Nashville and I really felt the Lord be like, you need to like take a breath. You need to like when you were moving to Nashville or when you were leaving. Sorry, when I was leaving Nashville and moving to Austin. Okay, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of how. So it's kind of like I don't know, and I don't know how you like hear from the Lord or what that looks like. I feel like I usually get kind of a similar. There's usually like a someone speaks into my life, and then it's like confirmed in other areas, and then I finally, if I will, finally just sit down and pray the Lord is kind of will confirm it in my spirit. Like that's what it feels like mm-hmm, for me. Mm-hmm. No, I, I totally agree. I, I am very slow to move on a word from God. If the only thing I have is the words. Yeah. Right. Because I, I trust that I can hear God. I mean, the Bible says, whether you turn to the right or the left, you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way walk in it. And it says the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. So I totally think I know God, what he sounds like to some degree. I have a lot to learn for sure. But also I know Annie. (laughs) And so Annie needs to like, not only do I need to 
hear God giving me direction or instruction or hope, but I need that to be confirmed in the word and the voices of my mentors. And I need to like test it out with some people before I just like jump. Right. Did you do that when you were moving to Austin? Did you like think, let me ask some people, or did you just know it was the right time? I, let's see. I kind of knew, but I did talk to a friend, um, my friend, Erica, I don't know if you know her in, in Nashville and she's, she's like one of those wise friends who, whose counsel I trust. And it was like, as I was telling her, we were both sensing, oh, this is the right move. Like, I'm really supposed to do this. Because before that, it had kind of been a feeling and a voice and kind of like obscure. And I think having her there with me while I was talking about it and her being like, whoa, I feel the same thing that you're feeling like this is the right move. Um, and then a bunch of things started falling into place in a strange way, just like logistics wise that made it so clear and a lot easier to leave. So that was, that was confirmation, I guess, after the fact, which doesn't always happen. Right. When, when I moved to Nashville, that, that was a similar, all of a sudden it was like, oh, everything is pointing toward Nashville. Like what choice is almost like what choice did I have? All the roads were going to lead me here now. You know, yeah. So I that that was my experience too of like, okay, I feel like the Lord told me to do this. Now I've tested it with some people, and they all agree. And now the circumstance is saying it too. Yeah. So that's really cool. I don't know how much I'm supposed to like ask you questions in this, but that's the um, best part of us being friends is that people don't realize we would do this sitting at the same table, whether they were listening or not. So go know, for it, Dre. Can I ask you questions? <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about this in an interview yesterday. I was like, I have a lot of questions for him, but I didn't feel like I could ask him questions. Um, but what, okay, so do, have you felt ever felt like, are you feeling any sort of urge to move or has there been a lot of like, I feel like you have such a strong community in Nashville, but surely it's changed over the years. So do you ever have thoughts of moving or are you having thoughts of like, this is where I'm supposed to be or. Yeah. So I always want to move to New York only because I love it so much, but I don't actually think that that's like the right next move for me. It's just where I love to go and where I find a lot of life. And so I just go there a lot instead. And, you know, one thing I did is I, when I kind of couldn't decipher whether do I want to move to New York or is this a God idea in my heart, I made a list of all the things I love about New York, the best things that I knew. And I thought, can I bring those into my life in Nashville? For example, Broadway shows. I love Broadway shows. And so the next year, I got season tickets to TPAC because I was like, okay, so we have that here. Is that going to scratch that itch or is the itch bigger than this? And for me, that has really been our, and so now TPAC is like a really life-giving part of every month for me. Um, so, so I don't think I'm moving to New York and you know me, I always want to move to Scotland too. Like, you know, I'm always, I was FaceTiming with one of my Scotland people this week and they had gotten a manicure and I was like, oh, you'll have to take me there next time I'm home. And then I was like, oh, I just said home. That is like, yeah. And so when I, so Edinburgh is absolutely another home for me, which we'll get into the UK here in a second. (laughs) But as far as I can see, I will always somewhat live in Nashville, if not all the way live in Nashville, because I really care about the culture and the future of the city. Like, I want to be a part of, like, when I want people to say that when if Annie Downs ever leaves Nashville or in 70 years when I die, I want people to say that Nashville is different because I was here. And I've never felt that about a city before. I've never felt this like, I want to invest in the, I mean, you know, there's that scripture that tells us to pray for the city where God's taken us and pray that it would flourish. And and he set you in a city on purpose. And I had never felt that until Nashville. And so, so I don't see myself leaving um, unless the Lord, but I also think that's how we're supposed to live, Dre. Like, I think when you lived here, you never lived here thinking this is only for a little bit. You know? Yeah. And when you're in Austin, you're not thinking like, well, I'll just live here until, you know, I kind of think wherever you're living, you're supposed to live like, if I never leave here, what will my, what does my life look like today? If this is the city for the rest of my life, what does my life look like today here? And how do I want to live here if that's true? So as far as I can see, Nashville is the city of the rest of my life. But I think that's just more because my heart is plugged in here. 
Yeah, that's good because I actually kind of tend to think, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. Like I might not be here very long. And I think it's my resistance to like settle and like fear of like getting stuck and stuff. So when you said that, I was like, oh, but I do think that a lot in cities and Austin, it's been hard for me to start calling it home and to like even get settled in my house because I have, I don't know what that is in me that fears like mm. deep roots and yeah, stuff and, that's getting, interesting. and getting stuck, but that is something worth exploring yeah. because if I did just live presently, like as if this is where I'm going to be, I would, I would live much differently. I wouldn't be as, um, I don't know, as not invested as I kind of feel now and in a lot of places that I go. Yeah, I'll tell you my, I lived in Nashville for probably 15 or 16 months thinking any day now I'm going to go back to Atlanta. And yeah, and I just thought, I'm, I'm going back to Atlanta. I'm going back to Atlanta. This is, this is only temporary. I honestly thought I'd live here two or three months and then God would let me go back. Like, I kind of thought, like, this was just some wackadoodle experiment God wanted me to do, and I would get to go home. And there was, I mean, I can remember the day where I was sitting, where I, where it felt like the Lord was kind of like, what if you don't go home? What if this is home? And I was like, oh, well, then I'd be doing this different, and I'd be doing this different. And and so I changed how I was living here, and it really changed my life. My, I got, I started leading a small group at church. I like, I like got involved in all these ways, and and it, it's what you said. It's a roots thing, right? It's this roots thing of like, if I don't leave here, what does it look like to plant here? And the downside is, if you plant somewhere and you move, you get ripped up. <laughs> It's so hard. That's it's probably so hard. why I don't want to do it. I know. Because I don't want to feel that pain after. Ooh. Yeah, that's so true. That's the same for me. It's I know. way easier if you don't really know people, if you don't really have deep friendships, that when you leave, it's you're fine. You never were. Yeah. I, yeah. I never cared anyway. Right? Like I never, I, I, I always knew I was leaving. So, you know, but like you can't do friendships that way or dating relationships no. that way. But I do. Right? Like, yeah. I, I had a really bad, I don't know if you've ever talked about this story, but I had a really bad friendship breakup with a girl about a decade ago. And I mean, I said, I'm never having a best friend ever again. Like, I'm never putting all in with one person ever again. And, and it has, and until the Lord healed that in me, thank you to my counselor who walked me through that as well. But until, I mean, I was missing out on some beautiful things in friendship because I would never go there with a friend. Cause I'd never, I'd never root down like that and go, yes, you are the person that is going to know me the best. I was like, no, 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 no. We're going to spread out between 12 yeah. so that if <laughs> one of them does that to me again, she's the sucker, not me. Yeah. Right. And then you have, yeah. Which is, which is, you know, great if you want to sort of protect yourself, but then it also does. I mean, then you can't really feel anything. It kind of numbs all of the other the other stuff too. Exactly. When you're, That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're staying muted to the pain, but you're also muted to the depth of the goodness. Yes. Which is something Amy Jo told me the other day. So we're going to mention Amy Jo again. Yeah. <laughs> Amy Jo, today's episode with Dre and Amy Jo <laughs> and her invisible roommate, Amy Jo. <laughs> with a special guest star from Hale, She's whispering our intern all, all turned employee yeah. who's going to find Sarah's house. <laughs> Oh gosh. Um, no, but that, no, this is really convicting. Yeah. And I definitely <laughs> I don't I do mean that. for it to be Dre. I don't mean for it to be. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's true. If we don't ever, um, give our hearts to people, then our hearts can't be hurt. But then also we can't ever like feel loved and we can't feel depth of relationship. And that's true for cities. I think it's true for churches. It's true for, I mean, you know, and you know this, but you know, our church cross point has gone through, a really painful eight months. And it has, it has, it's been one of the hardest things I've ever been through, but it's also because that's been my church home for six years, you know, like that's been where I planted and feeling lots of things go, go wackadoodle there has been painful. And of course I've gone like, Oh, I wish I would have never blah, 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 blah. I wish I wouldn't have cared this much. I w and then you're like, nah, I, that's not a way to live either, you know? Yeah. Though I'm the queen of, I, I love running from pain, girl, so. Me too. Okay, let's talk about the reason I brought you here today is you wrote one of my very favorite books of 2017 already. There's no way. I mean, Dre, English Lessons is so 
good. I love it so much. I can, and I feel very honored that I have the like cover quote. Yes, I was like, well, you're on the book, so it's which so is so fancy. cool. It's so cool. Okay, so kind of tell us, yeah, just kind of tell us how you got to moving to England because I think that's the fun part. You didn't run from your pain, right? That's not why you moved. <laughs> you're not the seven here. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was maybe running from my roots and just wanting to, you know, get out of Texas and not be too, I don't know. Um, it, I wasn't conscious of that at the time, but I really wanted to go to school overseas. And I had studied abroad for a semester in Oxford. And I had heard about this school called Brooks, which is not like Oxford, Oxford, but it's kind of a little bit more normal. So I was like, oh, I probably might have a chance of getting in to this school. Yeah. What'd you and call so, it? The book Oxford Junior or Little Oxford? or <laughs> Well, Brooks, but I call the real Oxford, I call it Oxford, Oxford. Oh, that's like it. That's Oxford, Oxford. Oxford. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Brooks is kind of like Oxford Junior. Um, that works. So, but a lot of people don't catch that in the book, or I've seen a lot of like like mentions of the book about me going to Oxford University. And I'm like, oh, it's not true. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people. And I, You're like, like Oxford, oh, I, I promise I told him. I promise I told him I went to Brooks. <laughs> I know. I was like, I tried to. They're going to be like, she did not go to any of our colleges. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I didn't. I went to Brooks, regular old Brooks. I do call it that. Um, which is, it's Brooks is a great school and I could still use the library, like the Oxford library. So that was cool. Um, but I wanted to study English and I actually almost went to the university of Edinburgh talking about Edinburgh. Did you? Oh my and, gosh. Yeah, what if we had both lived there at the same time as oh, well? That'd have been so that fun. would have been crazy. It's a yeah. beautiful university. I love it there. Uh, I bet it. And I really, I had a really hard time with the weather in Oxford. So I feel like Edinburgh would have been even worse. Like, yeah. I don't know if I could have. Rain every day, it. girl. Rain every day. And dark, right? Like in the dark in the winter, winter. yeah, super dark. Do you know I actually just got back from Alaska, and they are on almost the same latitude as Scotland. And because it's May, it was light almost all day and all night. I mean, it was like the same. So in the summer, it's the best. It's in the winter when it's the worst. Yes, I remember that in Oxford, it would stay light until like ten, which means in Edinburgh, it must stay light for. Oh yeah. Forever. Yeah. 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 Um, it is, it's the best because it's like nine o'clock and you feel like you can go running around the neighborhood. Right. Um, this is where my yeah. listeners are really going to mock me, but I don't know where on a map Oxford is in England. Okay. Well, I'm like, Oh, I don't either. It's South. It's like an hour and a half, I think West of London. Okay. So, so you would fly in and out of Heathrow. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it's West of London, not like East. Yeah. Yeah, you can't yeah, really go east of London or, unless you're unless you're on a ship. That's true. So yeah. So <laughs> it's gotta be west. <laughs> it's west. <laughs> um, I don't really know geography either. And I really did not travel within the UK while I was there. I was always like going over to the continent. Oh, so yeah, Amy yeah. Joe <laughs> Here she comes again. That Amy Joe, what a oh star. My gosh. She's my only friend. Um, she was living in Spain. So we were friends from college and she was teaching English in Spain the same year that I was in Oxford. And so we went on a few trips. Like I went to Spain and then we met up in Greece and maybe that's all we did. And then I went over to the continent with a friend from Oxford. We did like Germany and stuff. So I didn't actually travel within the UK. I'm really mad at myself. That's about really that. funny. Yeah. You're that's because you're more adventurous than me. I would have like stayed on the island and done all the island versus like <laughs> flying overseas or over. You well, know, that's what I should have done. But the flights were so cheap and so was, cheap. Did you fly EasyJet? Yes. Oh yeah, of course. EasyJet. And then there was like another really cheap one. Yeah. Ryanair. So Ryanair. Yeah. yeah. And it's like you have to pay to use the bathroom. That's it. You do. That's right. <laughs> it's like it's, you're not really sure if you're going to make it. Like the plane's just kind right. of not built super great. Right. But it's like a pound. <laughs> right. It's anywhere. so cheap. That's exactly right. Oh, that is so funny. So you saw. So you saw other places more than you ever saw the UK. That's sad. You'll have to go back. Yeah. Did you Did you get to see? Did you drive around Scotland and stuff? Yeah, I did. I didn't. So I've been there a handful of times. When I lived there, I actually went to Prague once. So I did I did leave the island. And then um, Lady Annabellum came to London for 10 days. And so I went down and stayed with them when they were in town just because it was like having home. As you can imagine, when you live there for six months, seven months, having 10 days with like 20 of your home friends 
was just like an oasis in the desert. Yeah. I mean, it was like such a gift. We went and had Mexican food. I cried eating Mexican food with the tour manager. I mean, like it was just so, it was, it was such a break from, from a different culture. Yeah. It was just a break from a different culture. Um, so yes, so I did that and I did a little bit of traveling within, um, Scotland. Yeah, I did some. That's cool. So I just, I wish I had, yeah, I wish I had gone. Were you there for two years? How long were you there? One year. One year. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how old were you when you were there? I was 22 Okay. and turned 23 at the end. I was very young. <laughs> very, yeah. very young. Well, but I mean, <laughs> you were, weird. you were 22. You weren't a child child. I mean, you were, you were a young adult. I think there are a lot of people who have really significant experiences in their early twenties that that they would maybe do some behaviors different. But in general, that's a really shaping time. Yeah, it is. I feel like the 20s are like dog years. It's like every year is more like seven years because it's just so much like learning and so much like first time on your own. And like for me, it was like faith stuff. And I just feel like you learn so much. And I'm like, I don't think the, I mean, the 30s could be the same. I don't know. I haven't felt that yet. Yeah, I haven't either. That has, and in, I'm, so. I'm, I'm over halfway done and I haven't felt it. It's okay, it very so it different really than my happen. 20s. No, uh-uh. Um, talk about the faith stuff. Cause I do think that's interesting. As you said earlier, Max Lucado is your dad. So you have, and like a couple of weeks ago, we had Barnabas Piper, who's John Piper's son. So there is this, like, this is not a bad thing necessarily, but there is a forced legacy on your life just because of who your parents are. Right. And then you, I, that's one of my favorite parts of your book was your real honest wrestling with your own faith in a place where your last name didn't define you like it does in the continental United States. Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, it it was interesting because most people didn't know who my dad was. And if they did, I remember the two girls I lived with, like one of my American friends figured it out toward the end of the year. I'm not really sure how she didn't know. That's so funny till the end of the year. Yeah. I was like, how did, I mean, I talked about my dad being a pastor, but I just don't think she had put it together. And I remember my British roommates were like, who we've never heard of him. Like, we don't know who that is. And I was like, good. Like that's refreshing that that you don't know. And I don't think, I think the pastor at the church I went to had heard of him, but most people didn't know who he was even like, um, who were, who I did worship stuff with. And so it was kind of nice to just be, it was nice, but it was also a little bit rattling because I realized, Oh, I need to sort of figure out my own faith and my own way without this. So I, it's something I feel like my last name is something I've always like needed, but pushed away at the same time. So there I was kind of doing, realizing both of those things. Like, Oh, I don't have this association. Like people are not associating me with this. And then personally, how is that? How's that affecting me? Right. And what does it mean? So what was that like? I mean, how did it affect you to not have that? It was good for me to socially to know like, okay, this is not something that is necessarily making people want to be friends with me because they don't know. Cause that's a fear is like, Oh, this is all people care about. Like, this is what, if I didn't have this, people wouldn't want to be my friend or, um, but then faith wise, I talked about just a lot, having a lot of doubt while I was there. But I think that that could be part of the reason that doubt surfaced so much that year, just really questioning everything about my faith and what I had been taught because I was like, okay, this is what I've been taught to believe in by my parents and by my church, my home church. And what, why do I believe this? Do I really believe this? Just all of a sudden I was forced to, to ask questions that I probably had always had. I just hadn't really had to face them. And I think being on my own and feeling what it was like to, to be my own self and not just Max Cato's daughter, it was like, okay, this is a part of myself I need to figure out and I need to own. Yeah. And did you find, I mean, I, I would love for you to kind of speak to, cause I think that when you grow up in the church and you get to either college or your twenties, it, it can be really scary to have doubt because doubt historically has been taught as a negative part of your faith journey. Do you feel that? Do you feel like it was, did, was doubt bad for you or good for you? Doubt was really good for me. And it led me to, and I don't know if it's because I just, my period of doubt was not as long as a lot of people. I mean, there are people who it's like years and they actually do become atheists and come back to the faith or, and my story is more like, 
I continued to be in Christian community. I was just having a lot of internal um, turmoil and conflict. But in the end, it's it's interesting to look back. Writing the book really gave me hindsight on what happened that year and why I didn't just end up walking away from my, I was like, what did happen? Like, where did God, and seeing where God was present, even if I didn't feel him and he was present in those questions and in that wrestling and in the darkness. And it allowed me to see my faith as something in contrast to that, I think. So I saw it as this light, hopeful thing instead of that wrestling kind of led me to that place. It's one of the reasons I really am a fan of journaling for people who aren't book writers. But for those of us who write books, this happens. But when you look back and reflect on an experience, you learn so much more than when you just lived it. Yes. Right? And that what you're saying happened when you wrote English Lessons? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like a big journal of my time. I was looking at old journals and how, I mean, my, my journals from Oxford are really like sad and depressing. And I was really sort of in a dark place and I was cold all the time, whatever. Um, so I feel like writing the book was like, let's kind of redeem some of those really tough journal entries and see where there were lessons and where stuff was happening, even when it didn't feel like it. But journaling is, I mean, that's how I process everything. I don't know how people don't journal. Same. I feel the exact same way, Dre. I'm like, I hear so often people going, yeah, I don't have any journals. I just don't, I don't write a lot. I'm like, here's, I think they're just better Christians than me because I (laughs) am way more inclined to forget God's kindness to me than people who don't journal. People who don't journal just must really be able to remember that God is good because I've got to troll through my journals constantly to remember that he shows up for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and his faithfulness. Yeah. I know. And they're, they, I'm like, are they just less self-focused? Like, do oh, I just right. have to think about everything that's, right. that's happening to me all the time? Do you know, I woke <laughs> up this selfless. morning and my alarm went off, and I seriously was like, I'm not even going to get up and journal because I cannot talk about me again today. <laughs> like, I, that is so— <laughs> I'm sick of me. <laughs> so you're exactly—yeah, I was like, I'm sick of this storyline we're living. I'm sick of what's going on. I'm sick of what we're talking about, Lord. I'll read your word, but, like, I just don't want to talk about it. Can we just, like—I said to Lord yesterday, I was like, can we just go do an activity instead of talking? <laughs> is there an activity with God. Do? Yeah. I was what? like, is there something we could do besides talk about this same storyline for another day? Because I want to be with you. I just don't want to talk about anything. <laughs> yeah, an it gets annoying. I, I got annoyed with myself editing the book and like reading, reading parts of it out loud. I'm like, I'm tired of myself. Like I'm really tired of reading about myself. So that's interesting because I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago about writing what it's like to write books and that story, like kind of how you create story and whatever, just kind of giving people like one author's perspective of being a book writer. But tell me how you feel the difference between the writing process and the editing process, because they're so brutally different to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like the writing process for me is like 20% and the editing process is 80%. And I've maybe seen people say that um, officially, like (laughs) about their own work and kind of stole it. But um, yeah, the editing part, the writing part is fun and usually kind of stream of consciousness for me. And then I go back and look at it the next day and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Like, why did I think this was so great and brilliant while I was writing it? I, I have to start over. I mean, if I look at kind of the early writings of English lessons compared to where it is today, it's just a completely different book. It's a totally different thing. And, but yeah, the editing process is hard. You just, and you kind of, I get into a vacuum to a point that I need other people to be looking at it. I mean, you just can't edit by yourself. Like that's why you need editors and friends to look at your work. Yeah. I often tell, say that I wish readers and especially readers who hope to write someday would get a copy of my books that you get the first draft and the final draft. So that that you realize I can't actually write the book that you are reading. (laughs) (laughs) Like I didn't write that as a first draft. I wrote that and then I edited it for two weeks and then I paid two people to edit it and then we turned it into the publisher and the publisher edited it and then I edited it again and then a copywriter edited it. Like people just, I mean, it's, it's the same as I had headshots yesterday and I kept saying to people on Instagram stories, like y'all understand that these pictures are not real. 
Like, there are so many people involved. Like, I can't even compare my own face to the professional pictures of me. That's unfair even to me, right? And I feel the same way about books. Yeah, there's so much editing involved in all of this. And people keep seeing final products and comparing their first draft to our final products. And I think that's hugely unfair. Oh yeah. It's when I, I wrote like 10 chapters of English lessons and sent it to about 10 different people. And one of those was my dad's a longtime editor, Karen Hill. And she, I had written, they were English lessons is all stories. And I'm talking about conversations, but I had used not one line of dialogue in those 10 chapters. It's like, I had just told these really long stories and Karen was like, what if you actually wrote out the conversations that you're talking about? <laughs> what if you How used quotation like, marks? <laughs> oh, that's a really good idea. Why had I not done that? <laughs> so it's huge. Like the oh perspective and the simple things other people can see in yours that you can't see because yeah. you're too close to it. Man, that Dre, that is one of my very favorite things about your book is I felt like, I mean, as your friend, it felt like I got to live a part of your life with you that I didn't know very well before. You just did such a beautiful job of telling those stories. It felt like it felt like reading a novel that was true about someone I already loved. And so I just you did an incredibly good job writing that book. And your editors apparently did a great job. Yeah, as my well. editors, Karen and John. Yeah, they were amazing. Well, thanks. You know, I read my first one star scathing review yesterday Why on the internet, which that? I didn't mean to. Did, I was hasn't like, your father told you that enough <laughs> not to read reviews? And it was super long. I was like, why am I reading this? This is horrible. So hearing you say that is just, it's really good for me. Oh my gosh. Listen, you cannot believe. Here's what's true. John Acuff says you don't believe the top 20% and you don't believe the bottom 20% because neither of them are actually true. Yeah. The the top 20% who think you're the greatest thing that ever happened, they're not, they don't, A, they don't know. And B, they aren't totally telling the (laughs) truth, right? And the bottom 20%, they don't know. And they're not totally telling the truth. And so- don't believe either of those. I'm so sorry you read that, Dre. Don't do that's that to okay. yourself. Okay, again. so do you just not look at any? I don't like. That's the rule. Okay, nope. I, I don't. I don't read not, the fives. Yeah. I don't read the threes. I don't read the one because what can I do? Yeah, you know, like I, I, I know people who read them. My agent reads them all. My editors read them so that if there's improvement that we can make, we can do it. But my problem is, if I read the ones and twos, I will stop doing this. I know. Oh my gosh! I, last night I was like. Oh, should I keep doing? I mean, it does. Yes. It makes that one voice stood out. Yep. And I was like, ah. Yeah, because when you read and the fives, you aren't going like, I should write another one tomorrow. But when you read yeah. the ones, you go like, I'm in the wrong job. Ooh. I'm not yes. good at this. You know? Yes. Um, I need to stay away. Yeah, I stay away. Stay I mean, away. but you if if there was anything you can learn from that one star review, learn it and just don't read anymore. But you do want I mean, you want to be open to correction and growth. And so but I'll tell you my what what my feedback a lot of times from other people who read the lower reviews. I had a guy, it was so great. I had a guy who I said to him, Oh yeah, I don't read my reviews. He said, Well, I read all of your reviews yesterday. And I was like, Okay. And he said, I mean, you can't, are you surprised that you have ones and twos? And I was like, well, yeah, because I'm the best writer that's ever existed. So of course, this is the best (laughs) book I've ever written. And he said, well, everyone isn't going to like everything you do. And I was like, oh, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That I just have to be okay that everyone doesn't like everything I do. And my, my consistent reviews is, you know, things like, this wasn't as deep as I wanted it to be like the bad ones that people that my editors and people tell me is like, yes, some people are just not okay with lighthearted stories that have deep meaning coming later in the book, you know? And so, and that just sometimes happens. Maybe can't draw out the meaning that you were going for. You know, some people read stuff and just can't, they don't get it. They don't get it. (laughs) They don't get it. So yeah, don't, don't believe that. But also if you're getting ones, that means you're getting fives. And so they're just, yeah. And some people love to read them. And so if you, if you can read them and shake them off or read them and, and think the person's an idiot, you can, but I just would rather, I'd rather do the hard work, have my editors do what they need to do, have my friends read it and tell me their honest feedback, turn it in, let trust that God puts books in hands, let people buy it and let God do whatever he's going to do with them and move on to the next thing he's called me to. Yeah. I like that. That's good. Do you develop tougher skin as it goes along? Yeah, you do. Okay, good. You will. It'll. I mean, your first one, 
especially your first one being so personal for you and being so, I mean, it's personal for everybody, but if your first one would have been like my top 10 dating tips or, you know, (laughs) or like, here's, here's a whole book on prayer in your twenties, right? Like that would be totally different as well. But your book is like, Hey, here was a really terrible, challenging and beautiful season of my life. And I put it all in here. And yeah. so it's, here's me. It's yeah, yeah. Here's me. I'm gonna publish it, and it's gonna be hardback, fancy, and <laughs> yeah. and I'm gonna publish it, and people are gonna get to have an opinion about what I lived, and that's really hard. It's very vulnerable. It's kind of felt like the most wonderful thing and the worst thing ever at the same time. It's like, oh, it's yeah. such a gift to be able to do this. And it's also like horrible. The vulnerability is really hard. It's yeah. difficult. Yeah. And I'll tell you the first two months after a book comes out are usually for me the hardest. Okay. Yeah. Cause you're just like kind of, you've been holding your breath and you're like yep. just waiting for what people are going to think. Yep. And that okay, first week is really right exciting now. because everyone's buying it and people are tweeting about it and yay, fun, look. And then people start reading it and you're like, Oh gosh, gosh, people are reading this. I don't know what's going to happen. Now anybody who wants it can have it. Yeah. That's my experience. <laughs> I, I mean, last so uh, last April when Looking for Lovely came out, Dre, I'm actually just writing about this in my new book, but in Looking for Lovely came out in April and in April and May were the darkest months probably of my life. Really? Yeah. And, and I that had book no like, idea. Did so well and I loved it and like everybody I know loved it. So that's good to hear that, like, even for you, it was like, oh. Yeah, yeah. And that's just, just because really didn't know what people are thinking. Yeah, you can't know what people are thinking. You can't know who's read it. You can't, yeah, it just gets, it gets weird, man. You can't be so. a writer in order to, like, get affirmation from people or to be the best. I mean, because I don't really know what else to do with my life. Like, this is what I do. And so I'm just going to have to keep doing it. And you probably feel that way, too. Yeah, even before English lessons was out, you were writing a ton. Like, you've been writing for Story Brand blog and all over. But, I mean, you do some She Reads Truth stuff. Like, you you write. That is your full-time job, right? Right. Yes, yeah. it is. As of now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have an job. office so. in Austin or are you writing at home? I'm writing at home. Yeah. There's an office attached to the uh, laundry room. Ooh. So it's not, it's just a room. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where I'm working yeah. right now. I rented an office in Nashville and I might get to the point where I want to do that. But for now it's, it's okay to be at home. Um, I don't know. I go through stages where I need to get out and stages where I kind of need the quiet and I need to be in a place like this. Yeah. That was my exact same experience. I wrote, let's all be brave at my home. I wrote looking for lovely at an office and now I'm writing at home again. Okay. So, so like, yeah, it just, oh, is, what's your new book about? Well, um, I haven't really <laughs> talked about it yet. Yeah. I'll t- I, I feel like I'm just talking to you. I seriously <laughs> feel like we're just like, right, right. Aren't we just, and it is about God's provision and his kindness. So it's really scary because I almost feel like I'm riding before before the I'm driving a train down tracks that aren't all the way built. And that's not really how you're supposed to you know that you're not really supposed to write there. But um, that's what I'm writing about is God is kind as he says he is, because sometimes I don't feel like he's kind. And then people say things like um, God's kindness is different than our kindness. And that makes me furious because I feel like that's what Christians say to each other to stop being disappointed with God. Hmm. And I don't think, and I think that's really, um, I think that's a, a cop out. I think giving kindness to definitions so that you don't have to feel things toward God that make you uncomfortable is a cop out. And I'm not willing to do that anymore. And so I'm kind of writing through how do we actually believe he's kind if kindness only has one definition? Oh my gosh, that gave me chills. <laughs> well, it's kind of ruining my I'm life. So for that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but do sometimes you, I mean, hearing his ways are higher than our ways is not comforting, and no. it's not really helpful. Right, it's not helpful. It's what it's like. Christians have come up with twenty or so phrases that we say to each other when we don't want to make the other person wrestle through who God is. And we just, we just want them to feel better and everything's okay and don't worry anymore and just let it go. And I'm going to, I'm going to say this sentence and then I'm going to give you this look that says, don't you feel better now? And, and the responder is supposed to go, yes, I feel better now. And, and now I'm going to journal that everything is better. And then you just keep pushing off 
the fact that you're actually disappointed or hurt or mad as if as if we need to protect God from each other's feelings. Yeah. That's really good. And a lot of times we we feel uncomfortable and we don't want to sit in that uncomfortable emotion with you and so we give you something to make us feel better and it's kind of just a selfish thing. I do it all the time like, "Oh, what can I say that will make me feel less uncomfortable with yeah, your dis- discomfort. Me too, me too, where I go <laughs> I like, well, I, I mean, I'll, man, I'll just, I'll pray. I'll pray for that. And you mean it, but you also are just trying to say the next thing so that you don't have to stay in this anymore. Yeah. yeah. And I and just, am, and I really, stay. I think, I mean, you can't imagine how many people I have asked, do you think God is always kind? And people are like, I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I've like spiraled them into a crisis of belief, <laughs> right? Because they're like, well, he has to be. Yep. And I'm like, well, why? And they're, well, because he's got, bye. <laughs> you know, like his kindness is different than our kindness. I'm going to get in my car now, right? And, um, Don't make me go there. Right, right. And, I, and so it just, I feel like that's my next thing I'm supposed to wrestle through for me and for my friends who read is... Is God as kind as he says he is? And if so, what does that mean for our lives? And good for you for writing this when those tracks are not done being built. I mean, because that I feel like that's going to, that's the place where God meets us because you're asking yeah, these tough questions. It's a tiny bit unwise because if for someone who needs to write a book, you, and you know this from English lessons, and this was true for me with Let's All Be Brave, um, is that the wisest thing to do is to see the whole story and then backtrack and tell it and learn as you're going that, and looking back on a season and learning as you're going and then going, oh, this is what happened, this is what happened, but I know how this ends. And for the first time in my, like, you know, couple of books, long career. Um, I don't know how this ends. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's terrible. How long do you have? Like, when does it have to end? Cause when do you have to turn it in? Right. So the ra- round, it comes out next summer. So I virtually have a year, a, a little, like I probably have yeah. 14 months. If we, if I had to make changes right before printing, I probably have 10 months. Okay. So first draft is due at the end of the summer, but I've been working on it ish since January been really like deadline writing for about two weeks okay because didn't you go to Scotland to write I did I went in January for a couple of days and and I may end up doing that again because it kind of there's a lot of it that a lot of the story lives there and so um so yeah I did I did go back there when you were writing English lessons did you are you one of the writers who like goes to a cabin and writes for a week do you like retreat I, I, right before the book was due, like the week before I went to like this garage apartment thing that my friend knew about in Columbia, I think, Tennessee. Oh, yeah. And just for two days. Um, and it was, it was really, it was really good to have that concentrated amount of time, but I had kind of already holed up in my condo for a week before that. So I was very like people starved by the time I came out of that. I was like, I need to be around people and actually put normal clothes on and shower and stuff. (laughs) So I did. I need to eat something besides trail mix and coffee. (laughs) Yes. Like I need to right. be a normal person. Right. right I have to be a person here for a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I that. But I wish I had gone back to Oxford for a couple of days to write because I didn't. And I, that was really just because I was kind of being lazy about getting the trip scheduled. I had a friend who was like, you can stay here. And I just didn't do it. And I also think I'm a little bit, um, ashamed. Like I'm a little bit embarrassed <laughs> about going back, which really? is an interesting emotion. Yeah. What's that about? I think I'm like, okay, I spent one year in this place, whereas everybody else I knew there, or a lot of people I knew there spent way longer. And I've written this whole book about, you know, there's just a little bit of shame. Like, oh, what are they going to think of this? Do they think I'm kind of ridiculous? Do they, which they don't, because I've had a couple of friends from there be super supportive and like kind about the book. 
but there's something about me that's like, oh gosh, if I go back, like that will be a lot of mixed emotions. I'll feel kind of weird about that. I oh don't man, know. you're so honest, Dre. I love, I mean, I get that. I totally get that because we, as authors, we get to pull sections of our lives and write about them. Even if the section of our life that we're writing a whole book about is much shorter than someone else's section or experience of that place. Yeah. And it almost like I can let that devalue my experience sometimes like, oh, but this person lived there for 10 years. You know, I have, I write about some, an, an American guy in there who lived there for at least five years. Yeah. And I'm like, he's not writing a book. Like, right. he's not, you know, he must think I'm so ridiculous. For, yeah. Did you, so tell me, it. did you connect with all your um, Oxford friends before, like, did they all read the book before and kind of give a heads up of your story of that? Yes, only because I was forced to by the publisher. I didn't want to, <laughs> but I, they had to all sign story releases. Um, and a couple of them wouldn't, so I had to take them out. But most did agree to it. Um, so that was, oh man, that's like a whole story of getting back in touch with some of those people. And I'm glad that I wrote the book as if they wouldn't be reading it because I would have censored a lot of things. And I did go back and edit some things out and tone it down before I sent it to them. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah. I think that's how you have to write the first draft. You have to go, if no one saw this, what would I say? Yeah. Yeah. What, um, what about, so I had a similar experience in Let's All Be Brave, but what about the dude you write about in English lessons? Did you have to like reconnect with him? I mean, that had to be like, hey, Remember yeah. how much okay, we used Jisoo? to ride bikes? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, Jisoo and biceps, I talk about both of them. And Jisoo is the one who I talk about the most. So is that who you're, yeah. that's probably who you're talking yeah. about. Yes. Um, and he, we had some very long emails about the book and who was remembering things correctly and who wasn't. And, oh, did we maybe never have closure in our relationship? And that's why this is so hard right now. So that was a really, um, that was a hard email exchange and we never got, we should have just Skyped about it. He's overseas still. So, um, but, but we didn't, I think I was a little bit nervous too. So that was interesting, but I think ultimately healing for both of us it was just kind of, he read it. It must be very strange to read about yourself in a book. Like I have with I my dad's books. All the time, Dre. I know. I'm like, what would this be like for me? Yeah. I don't <laughs> mind doing it to everyone yeah. else, but it feels so weird to think about being on the receiving side of that. No, I'm like, I don't want to know what you really think of me. Right. And we put, put we there. do that to men. We've both done it to a man in a book. <laughs> yeah. Did you have to, for the guy in Looking for Lovely, did you have to send it to him? So the dude in Looking for Lovely, the, the main guy in Looking for Lovely, I didn't because he, I, because he was such a small part of my meltdown that I didn't. I, I mean, he knows he's in it, but it wasn't like a, hey, is it okay? But the guy in, there's a, the worst, worst, the saddest breakup kind of ish of my life was in Let's All Be Brave. And yeah, I mean, we hadn't talked in probably two and a half years. And Dre, I go to call him to say like, hey, I need you to read this thing. And I accidentally hit FaceTime. And I was like, oh, no. oh Lord. Oh, boy. And so I hang up and then I call back and he's like, so FaceTime. I was like, oh, I know. I'm the worst. No. So, but Why yeah, it's is just, it in those situations we do oh, like the right? worst thing possible? I was like, I need you to read this like three paragraphs. Oh, you know. So, oh. yeah, and it's hard. And, you know, one of the things I've come to start saying to people in the book is I, I don't know if this is going to feel true to you because – if I remember, if I'm remembering something very wrong, then you can say that. But I, but some of this just may not read true to you because you don't know what happened before you got there and after you left. So I'm okay oh, if it doesn't. Yeah, because I say to people now, I'm okay if this doesn't feel totally true to you. Like if you think, I don't know if that's exactly how it went. What I want you to feel is that it honors the story. Oh, right. That's because it. they, because they. Their truth and my truth about a breakup, a friendship breakup, a relationship breakup, a even just a conversation over dinner, I'm going to remember things. You know, if this conversation between you and I wasn't being recorded, you're going to remember <laughs> things I'm not going to remember. Yeah. And so if you wrote all this down, I'd go, I don't rem remember that. I, don't, I didn't know that she was 
eating lunch with her sister right before this, and that played into some. I didn't know any of that. That didn't. I didn't know that was true. And then you go, yeah, yeah, sorry. You, it's not going to be the exact same truth you've experienced, but does it honor the story that we lived? And so that's... Oh, that is so good. Yeah, that's what because I Because I people. sort of left an open door for people to just... Well, I tried to be like, listen, if any of this is inaccurate, let me know. I do say that too. I, got- I do say that. I say like, is this? if this feels really not true to you, tell me. But did you get a lot of pushback on that? I, yes, I just got people who, a couple of people disagreed with my opinions and just wouldn't sign off because they disagreed with my opinions on like issues like grace. Someone told me I wasn't a feminist. I was like, are you kidding? Like right. I totally, right. <laughs> just stuff that I was like, oh my gosh. But I was like, okay, I have to sort of put myself in their shoes and it's probably very rattling and like vulnerable to read about yourself in something. And I actually reached out to Donald Miller because I was like, you've written about people in a very honest way. Like, how do you deal with this? And he was like, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to like say this, but he was like, I try to write about healthy people, like people who I know can handle it. And I was like, Oh, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's it. So, so there are some stories in my books that that the, well, I do change a lot of names, especially if people ask me to change names um, or if they go, yeah, you can have my story. Because what I usually say is, is this Troy feel like it honors us? Is there anything that feels definitely not true? Do you want the story in there? If so, do you want your real name or would you like a fake name? And or I'll pull it all the way out, whatever you want. Right. And and so for me, a lot of times I um, there are times where if the person You know, if I need to tell a portion of the story, but it's not healthy for me to re-engage with the person, I will, I will make it a small enough portion of the story, and I'll change one detail enough that a super, a super enthusiastic reader wouldn't be able to figure out who it was. Okay, and then, and then you kind of don't have to send it to them. It's like if it's just like two sentences. I mean, if I tell like the the looking for love. Sorry, the let's all be brave you know, the breakup with the guy story, he probably would have never picked up that book, but I, it really mattered to me that he felt like I honored him. And our Nashville families, like all of you guys, n- would know who he is. And so any of my friends here reading it lived those years with me. And so I wasn't willing, even if he wasn't going to sue me, I wasn't willing to not honor him as a human and honor him for all that he gave me as a friend and as someone that I loved I, it mattered more to me that he felt honored um, versus getting him to sign off, though he had to sign off as well, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's kind of, you want to respect the people who are in the book because they're an important part of your story and deserve respect for that. I know, I think yeah, about it a lot, and you've grown up in, the, in a family where this happens, and it'll be interesting when you and I are moms and we have children who <laughs> grow up like this as well in books, but it's like no one else in my life signed up to be a part of an author's life. Yeah. But I know it's the shrapnel, right? I mean, you know that from your dad, right? I mean, mm-hmm. are there ever times where you've hated that? I, yes, I, well, and for me growing up, it was more hearing about myself in sermon sure, illustrations. Sure, sure, sure. And so I was like, uh, and it was more, I just got kind of annoyed with all the people who would come up after me and talk to me about that story kind of as if they knew me. And I was like, I don't know you. Like we don't, you don't know each other or people who have said, I feel like I know you from your dad's books. Like that's kind of weird to me. Like I don't necessarily like that. Cause I'm like, but you don't know me. Like I have no idea right. who you are. Um, right. please leave me alone. So right. it's, and fortunately my dad, I think he stopped doing that around adolescence. Cause I don't think there have been stories about us in books for a pretty long time. Like I think he used us yeah. as kids, you know, doing funny things and saying stupid things, but he let off of us. And I, I'm sure he did that on purpose. I haven't really talked to him about that, but he was probably like, I know that this is sensitive. They're older now. This would be harder. So I appreciate that. And now with English lessons, people really do know you, right? They do know a portion of you at least. So (laughs) when they say that, they're going to be like, you have to write about me. Yeah. yeah, Because I feel like you did a beautiful (laughs) job of being like really true in that book to who you are as a human. Like I was like, this is the same Dre I experience as a person. That's good. I like, yeah, I had a friend say, oh, I was reading it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly how she sounds. Like this is how she would say that. And I was like, that's good. Cause I, I didn't, you know, you don't remember things super well. And so there were stuff, there was stuff I had to just kind of, I don't know, write in there and I wanted it to be true. And so that's good to hear. 
Um, yeah. Well, I'm I as a reader and as a friend, I'm really grateful you wrote that book. I feel like it's going to help a lot of people who want to experience a, a culture outside of their own, who want to be a little adventurous, but also people who just have doubt and don't know what to do with that doubt. I think it's just a good story of how you handled doubt um, really well, but you didn't ignore it. And I think that's really important. Thank you. Yeah, I hope it gives people permission to to ask their questions and have their doubts. I like reading stuff that gives me permission to either feel what I'm feeling or to have thought thoughts that I've had. So I, that's like my big hope and prayer for this book, I think. Um, okay, Dre, we've talked for a long time. We really did a good job. I'm like, you probably have a life. You probably have something to do. But because our podcast is called That Sounds Fun, I do have to ask you one final question. Because it's called That Sounds Fun, we always ask our guests, what sounds fun to you right now? Like what's something fun you're doing or something fun you have planned this weekend or something fun that is coming up or what sounds fun? Well, uh, my niece is turning two this weekend and we're having a birthday party for her in San Antonio tomorrow with pinata pool party. <laughs> so that sounds really fun to me right now. It's really sweet. <laughs> yes. That's where I'm headed after this. Like I'm going to pack up and, and drive down there. Oh, I'm good. super excited. Yeah, so that sounds fun. fun. Well, hug Jenna for me, mm-hmm. your sister. I, like I will. Her a lot. Um, Dre, thanks for being on the show. I'm really grateful to be Thank your friend. You so much. And I think it's, I'm sorry that we didn't get it sooner to the book release, but here it is. Oh, this is, this is great. This is perfect. Isn't she the best? Isn't she just like humble and kind and lovely? I know. She's awesome. Again, if you have not gotten to pick it up yet, make sure you grab a copy of English Lessons by Andrea Lucado. It is such a great book. And if you ever go to Waco, you should totally stay in her sister Sarah's Airbnb. I'm believing in my lovely friend, assistant, employee, podcast star, Hale, to find that link for you and put it on the blog post and in the show notes so that if you want to stay in her Airbnb, you are able to. Hey, if you enjoyed today's conversation with Dre, then I can think of some other authors that I've interviewed that you may enjoy as well. If you look back through the old That Sounds Fun podcast episodes like Jessica Turner, Angie Smith, Bianca Oltoff, Rebecca Lyons, most recently Tish Oxenreiter. I also have a great episode with Shauna Nyquist, and I don't know if you saw, but she just released her podcast as well. The first few episodes are out, and it is good, so make sure you check it out. If you are looking for another podcast by a friend of yours, I think Shauna's would be a great one to listen to. Hey, and I want to make sure you know, because we are running low on tickets, that the That Sounds Fun weekend is coming up July 28th through 30th, and we are going to sell out soon. So if you are interested in coming to Nashville and hanging out with us for a weekend, recording a live podcast, I'll go ahead and give you some of the spoiler alerts of who's going to be there. Dave Barnes, Kelly Bannon, And everyone's favorite part of the podcast, Eddie Koffels. We're going to be live doing a live podcast. It's going to be super fun. That's Friday night, all day Saturday. We're going to have so much fun. Saturday night, we're all going to the Grand Ole Opry, and then we'll gather again on Sunday. And it's going to be a great weekend with a fun swag bag, pretty much just hanging out with 200 of your closest new friends. So if you are interested in that, if that does anything for you and your pals, just head over to AnnieFDowns.com and look for the That Sounds Fun Weekend banner. I think it is going to be great, and I would love for you to come and join us if you get a chance and can leave a review of the podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation with Dre, I would really appreciate it. It kind of gives other people an opportunity who don't already know us to figure out that it'd be a great place to stop and listen. Though, to be honest, you know me now. I don't read I don't read a lot of reviews. I just know they're good for the listeners. And so if you have a second to do that, that would be awesome. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single episode that is coming down the pipe because we've got some great ones. I cannot wait for you to hear what else is coming up, but I wouldn't want you to miss one of them. So make sure you are subscribed to the That Sounds Fun podcast so you don't miss any of them. And if you need me, I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs, F as in fancy. Annie F. Downs across the whole internet, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, website. If you need me, Annie F. Downs. I am headed off to celebrate our friend Rebecca Lyons' birthday. We're going to have a lunch today, and I'm really excited to see her and celebrate her. So that's what sounds fun to me. And Dre is headed to a birthday party as well. So I bet you know someone. All you got to do is look on Facebook whose birthday it is today. So why don't you reach out, say happy birthday to someone, and make sure you do something that sounds fun to you today too. So have a great day. I'm so glad to get to hang out with you, and we will see you next week.